it's a good to be back with you. My family and I were away at Grand Beach last weekend, um, going to be with my family, my, my brother and, and sister and brother-in-law, and my dad and his fiance, Bertha. Yes, fiance. That has happened, I think, since last time that we saw each other. So my dad's engaged. Lots going on with the family now. I'm looking forward to officiating my dad's wedding, which is something I never thought I would really be able to do. Here we are. But it was a good weekend to not only be away and and relax, but to spend time together as a family, in particular get to know Bertha a little bit better as she is becoming part of our family. Uh, Amory did a great job with the sermon last week. I watched a a little bit of the sermon on the beach and said, okay, he's doing a great job, and then I turned it off and watched the rest later when I was back at at work. And I, I, I never heard a sermon that smelled so good before as he was talking about passing the sniff test and we focused on 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, the latter of which says, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The idea of passing the sniff test is as if people wanted to know if this Christianity was, was worth it. Was it were, they, were they legitimate about their faith? Were they consistent in what they believed? Or, or were some of these rumors about them true? Because make no mistake, at the time that Peter's writing this letter, there were tons of false accusations leveled against the early church, many of which came out of fear and ignorance. It was a brand new sect or religion that had risen out of Judaism, and the Jewish community didn't like that at all. And it was growing so rapidly that the Roman Empire didn't like that at all. Change was not usually a welcome thing. And they were meeting in homes and often in secret, and so no one knew exactly what was happening. And this culminated in some really nasty rumors, such as they, they believed that, that Christians were there to undermine social and political structures. They were, they were socially deviant. Or, or they were cannibals. It comes from this misunderstanding of what Christians were doing with the Lord's Supper, with the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. You can see where that disconnect might come into play. And because they met in secret, there was a lot of hedonistic rumors around the church as well. No one knew for sure what this Christianity was all about. No one was really certain what Jesus was all about. And it was up to his church to live this way, to live in such a way as to put to bed those false accusations. Peter, as he continues to write his letter, believes that the best way to put these unsubstantiated fears to rest is to live honorably. So he says, don't give fuel to the fire. Don't even try to explain something that people really won't understand as an idea. Instead, live in a way that honors everyone. So this then is the motivation for the passage we're going to study together this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13, all the way to chapter 3, verse 7. And specifically, we're going to key in in the verses 15 through 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2, where it says this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So the goal is to honor everyone in order to refute false accusations and misunderstandings about the church and about Jesus Christ. And the way to do this for Peter then is to outline how different relationships that we have in society now work in light of the fact that we are all made free in Jesus Christ. He says, here's the problem 
and we need to live honorably, and we need to live free. And so Peter goes on in the rest of of chapter 2 into chapter 3 to give these household codes, these ways in which these normal relationships that we all have in society are now radically different in light of who Jesus is and what he has done in our life. This is how we live honorably. Because we live as people who are free. That's the first point I want to make this morning. And sometimes when I put these sermon points together, I like to I, I like alliteration. We make it all start with the same. Or I like to have a nice catchy phrase. But this one I just pull right out of First Peter. He says it perfectly. Live as people who are free. Because the crazy fact of the good news of Jesus Christ is that he sets you truly and completely free. And that's where we need to begin. None of this is going to make any sense. None of it's going to be possible to, to radically change our relationships without being deeply rooted in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. And the first way that we're free is that Jesus frees us from the bondage of sin. When we read through the whole arc of the Bible, and especially in some of the letters of the New Testament, it's described to us that outside of Jesus Christ, we are slaves to sin. Meaning that when we enter this world, in our nature, and in our choices that we choose to do, and the things that we choose not to do, we are sinful people. Not only are we sinful in that we act that way, but we are actually under the bondage of sin. It has a mastery over us. And the only way to be free from this mastery of sin in our life is through the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace that Jesus extends to us on the cross. And when we trust in that forgiveness and grace, we are now no longer slaves to sin. We have been set free. We are no longer under sin's control. The freedom of Christ, is, it begins with sin, but, but it extends far beyond that. I think it's also very biblical to say that Christ frees us from the bondage of the broken systems of the world. So when we look at how the world works and society works around us, we, we look at Jesus frees us from political power and the social hierarchies. He gets rid of racism and sexism and slavery, and they're all thrown aside by the freedom of Jesus Christ. And yet this is a message and a truth that's brought into a world that finds it hard and difficult to believe. But Christians were different. Christian gatherings were the only place where you would find high-ranking Roman officials rub shoulders equally with slaves and women and those that were marginalized. When you entered a place of worship, whether it was a house or anywhere else, as Christians, you were all equal and one in Jesus Christ. And this was radical and countercultural. In fact, that's one of the very reasons why those who didn't know everything about the teaching of Christ thought it was so dangerous, because it was subverting the political and the social norms of the entire Roman Empire. This was the only place this was happening in Christian worship gatherings. So Christians are free in Christ, and they know this. And the question becomes, how are we as Christians to utilize this newfound freedom in Jesus? The answer for Peter is by turning around and serving God. That's what he told us in chapter, sorry, chapter 2, verse 16. Live as people who are free. That's the truth. How? Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but instead living as servants of God. First, freedom is not to be used as a covering up of evil. And I think even in a more broad sense, what what Peter is saying is that our freedom does not give us the ability to do whatever we please. It does not give us license to pursue whatever we desire and take whatever path we want to take. And so if we as Christians start to define freedom as being complete personal autonomy to do what we want, then that is not 
true biblical freedom. That is not the way the Bible describes our freedom. And when we do this, at its worst, it can be a way of justifying or using our freedom to justify our own selfish and, yes, sometimes even evil desires. What Peter says is a cover-up from evil. I'm free. I can do whatever I please. That's not a biblical way to live. Instead, the truest expression of Christian freedom is the opposite of autonomy. It is willingly, freely choosing to obey God. Live as people who are free, using this freedom not as a cover-up from evil, but to live as servants of God. And servants is actually quite a soft word here. The most appropriate word is slaves. So Peter says, you have been set free by Jesus, and now use your freedom to be a slave to God. Now, that sounds quite different than how our culture defines freedom. Paul takes it one step further. We're going to spend a little bit of time here this morning going to, how, uh, going to Paul. as he, Paul and Peter talk about a lot of similar things in our passage today. And this is what Paul says in Romans 6, verses 17 to 18. He says, But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin... In Jesus Christ, have become slaves of righteousness. So Paul says, you've been set free. You're no longer slaves, but now yet you are a slave to righteousness. And, and Peter says, live as people who are free and be slaves to God. Autonomy is not freedom. And while this is an extreme calling to willingly submit to God, using our freedom to, to, to devoted service of God is the path to true fulfillment. Complete personal autonomy is freedom. That's fake news. That's false goods. That will not give you what you need. We are designed to exercise our freedom in service of God and ultimately in service of others because that's one significant way that we used to use our freedom to serve God and then also to serve others. That second half of that statement really is given to us in the book of Galatians by Paul. Galatians 5, just a wonderful passage on freedom, picking up in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, or as Peter would say, a cover-up for evil. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And Peter and Paul both know this. There's something in us, our human nature, that desires to do whatever we want. But if we pursue our own desires, it will cost the people around us. It will harm our relationships with God and with our community. And it will be detrimental to ourselves and our community. We will consume one another. I found this uh, little fun fact on BBC Science Focus. It talks about freshwater shrimp and how they have this nasty habit of consuming their young. <laughs> It says it's not uncommon for the freshwater shrimp to indulge in eating some of their young, but this goes into overdrive when they are infected by the Pleistophora malari parasite. Did I say that right, Warren? Is that right? Yeah. You have a doctorate in, in science, right? No? Oh, okay. The tiny parasite is only as large as a human red blood cell, but they can exist in the muscle fiber of their host in their millions, demanding more and more food to survive. This in turn makes the shrimp hungrier and less able to catch their traditional prey, turning their attention instead to their unsuspecting juveniles, which they gobble up quicker and in greater numbers than they would normally. 
And this is what selfish desire does to us in our community. It drives us to, to, to pursue our own ends at the expense of those around us. And so true Christian freedom, according to Peter and to Paul, is to use this freedom to serve God and serve others. That will not only give us true fulfillment, but it protects our community and the reputation of the church as well. So live as people that are free. But the question we need to ask ourselves as we check in today, how am I using my freedom? Am I using it to serve myself, to pursue my own desires, to cover up evil? Or am I using it to serve God and to serve others? Now, if the goal is to utilize Christ's given freedom to honor all other people, which is really, I think, what Peter has been telling us now, then the, goal, the way to that goal is through submission, which is another difficult lesson for us to learn. And so this is now the backdrop or, or what shows up in the remaining part of the passage, which is Peter's household codes. He says, honor everyone. Live as people that are free, serving God by honoring everyone. And in this arena and that arena and that arena of life, this is one way in which it can and should look. So what are these household codes? Well, they were practical examples of how Christians can live out their existing relationships in a way that uses freedom to honor those around them. And all of these codes are set against a cultural backdrop, which is the Roman social order. That very first audience of 1 Peter was a, a group of churches in Asia Minor, which was a province in the Roman Empire. And so all of them would have been living in this world. And what Peter is doing is he is taking all these existing structures and saying, we're not living outside of these structures yet. This is where we have been placed. But how we live in these structures is going to be radically redefined by Jesus. So he's not saying break it all down. That's what the, that's what the political powers are worried about. He's saying we need to redefine how we live in light of the freedom we have in Christ and the goal to honor everyone. So author Rachel Held Evans calls this a Jesus remix on how to live in Roman society. Make the best of a broken system and reform it from the bottom up by living in freedom in Christ to honor other people. So to begin, Peter declares to the persecuted church that they are to submit to the governing authorities. I'll read for you starting in chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now this was anything but easy for Peter's original audience. He's writing this letter around A.D. 60 to 62, and the emperor at that time was Nero. And Nero was crazy, and he was a bad emperor. And one of the things that he did was he was the first emperor to formally persecute Christians. So when things would go awry in Rome, he would blame it on the Christians. They became a favorite scapegoat of his, and they were now truly persecuted and hunted down and imprisoned and even put to death. And so Peter is writing into this situation and saying, honor the emperor, submit to the governing authorities. It would have been an incredibly difficult thing for those early Christians to do. But the reason Peter says this is because it is God who has instituted these, uh, Roman, uh, this government to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So we are submitting to the government 
because God has placed them there to play a role for a purpose. In Romans 13, the first few verses say this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. God has placed them there for a reason. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So Peter and Paul agree that the, the government is there, and it's important that they, that they play this role. It's important that Christians submit to that role because that has been put there by God. It also introduces a level of accountability for the government. They don't get away scot-free. Both Peter and Paul say they're there to, to, to ensure that justice is done, to, to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. But most importantly, we aren't called to submit to the government for the government's sake, but for the Lord's sake. Nero was not an emperor that deserved any honor. He was an active opponent. He was hostile to the church, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was nothing in, within himself that deserved honor and respect. But that's not what the church was called to do. They were called to submit to the government and honor the emperor because they were doing it for the Lord's sake. And as we go through all these household codes and we seek to honor everyone through willing submission, we need to recognize that our primary submission in every instance is to God. So we submit to God first and then the government. We submit to the government for God's sake. We know where our primary allegiance lies. So when submission to the government and submission to God come into conflict, we should always side with God. Now that sounds really neat and tidy, doesn't it? Except what if we don't agree? on when those two things come into conflict. If only I could think of an instance or two in which this has happened. Mm. We've had to live this out. Sorry, I think I just went off screen. My bad landed. We've had to live this out where we went through COVID and all these COVID restrictions and, and suddenly our relationship with government was very different as there were some specific directives that told us what we can and can't do in our worship gatherings. And as Christians and churches and as the global church movement, we did not know what to do with this. We knew what the scripture said. So I could quote Romans 13 and then 1 Peter 2 and someone else could quote this or that. And we knew, we all agreed on this truth. We submit to God first and the government second. And we had a hard time in our own lives interpreting when this came into conflict and when it did not. And do you want to know what, church? That's okay. We didn't need to always agree on the ins and outs of that. That was one example of us all interpreting God's word, uh, of doing the best that we could to live faithfully to God's call in our life. So we know the principle. How that looks, that sometimes is up for debate. And I'm not going to reopen old debates or take sides but I think it's a great example of how we need to continue to wrestle with how the Bible me makes us live here today. So submit to the government, but submit to God first. It's for his sake. Well, Peter then shifts gears and, and, and goes on something that maybe feels like it doesn't even apply to us very much. He, he calls servants to submit to their masters in their freedom. This he picks up in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Slaves, submit to your masters. Servants, submit to your masters, even those who are unjust. And yes, that word for servant here, just in the way that it said servants of God, it is better translated as slave. Yet sometimes we, we also need to recognize that slaves in Roman times were much better off 
than some of our conceptions of slavery. And as North American people, I think our minds often go to slavery in the United States and some of the terrible conditions that were true there. In in Roman times, slaves could have occupations and families, and many of them had the opportunity to eventually free themselves. Um, But even there, they were still owned by others. And so we kind of want to think of something in between slave as we traditionally feel it's, it's um, defined in servant. And something right in the middle would be the situation of many of those Romans who would hear this for the first time. But you might be thinking the same thing that I thought. Well, didn't Peter want to abolish slavery? Doesn't that seem, shouldn't he just say, slaves, don't worry about it anymore. You guys are free in Jesus Christ. Just leave. Well, remember, the goal of Peter was to, to describe how Christians can live freely in Christ in a radical way within the existing cultural system. It was not easy. In fact, it was not feasible for slaves just to be free. There were so many structures in place that were outside of their control. And yet, as we mentioned already, slaves were equal during Christian worship times. That was their expression and their experience of true freedom and equality. And in fact, as we look at the course of human history, we also know that Christian ethics would drive the emancipation of slaves in the future. There are, are, um, this freedom of the gospel would eventually change the actual structure itself. But now was not the time when Peter was writing this. Specifically, Peter calls servants to submit and serve well in difficult situations. What good is it when you suffer because you deserve it? It's a gracious thing to endure suffering unjustly. Peter goes on to point to Jesus as our prime example. And now, I hate to disappoint you, but we're going to skip over a lot of what he says there because next week, our focus will be on suffering for righteousness. And that is going to be our main focus. And so we're going to gloss over it. But for now, we know that that call is still on those who are under the authority of somebody else to, to give them honor and respect even when they don't deserve it. Well, this seems like a bit of a dangerous teaching. Is, is Peter counseling those stuck in abusive and destructive situations to stay unsafe? I don't think that's true at all. No, there was many slaves who in AD 60 had no opportunity to change their situation. But we have many more freedoms today within the structures. And so if you are someone that's in a place when someone in authority over you is is abusing you, it's a destructive and toxic relationship, you have the opportunity to better yourself. You have the opportunity to get away and to stay safe. Don't use this, don't misunderstand this passage as, as needing to stay in that destructive situation. It's not suffering for suffering's sake. It's suffering for righteousness' sake, being mindful of the Lord. So how do we apply this then? We don't really have a direct parallel between the slaves of Roman times and today, but I think this passage translates best to employer, employee or employer situations. But we can put it this way. We need to submit to any other authority. We have the governing authorities, and then anyone else who's been placed in authority over us deserves our honor and respect, even when they don't act like they deserve it. So how many of you here have ever had a bad boss? You can raise your hand. That was pretty quick, Seth. I saw that. I know, I know where you've worked. Good thing Lisa's not here today. I'd have to tell her to put her hand down. She has other jobs too. It's really hard when you work with someone that doesn't treat you with respect, that doesn't seem to know what they're doing, uh, that, that, that plays favorites within the, the, um, the, the office or, or the company, uh, that, that pushes you down to, to pull themselves up can be difficult to submit to those who have authority in your life with all respect, as Peter says, when you don't believe that they deserve it. As I was landscaping, I had two very different foremen. It was one of my summer jobs. And I had the experience where one of my foremen made a mistake and we dumped a bunch of gravel or stone that was the wrong size and we had to shovel it all back into the truck and he never lifted a finger to help fix his own mistake. 
Then I had another foreman who I watched dig a hole in the ground for a patio in the hail while the rest of us employees had already were waiting in the truck because we were like, we're not working in these conditions anymore. See, one of those people in authority over me deserved my respect and one did not. And what Peter says is that it does not matter what they deserve. That we live freely in Christ and for the Lord's sake, being mindful of him, we treat people with honor and respect. For God's sake and not for theirs. Nero didn't deserve honor and respect if the church was to give it. And the slaves uh, who were owned by those who were harsh masters, they didn't deserve it either, and yet we are also called to give it. This is what it means to live freely and to submit to God and to submit to others in order to show them honor. And the last household code then that Peter chooses to go over is wives and husbands. This is in uh, chapter 3 now, starting in verse 1. Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how... The holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So I'd like to invite Pastor Earl now to come and preach (laughs) from 1 Peter 3. You already did it? You want to do it again? It's getting a little hot in here. I just, just give me a second. This is fun. Okay. These get into some pretty tricky areas. So what do we know? How can we consistently interpret this in light of everything that we've already learned this morning? Well, the first thing we, that catches our attention is the word likewise at the very beginning. Likewise. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. And so this likewise ties everything that Peter says now in with what he's already told us. He says, like you submit to the governing authorities and like you submit to your masters, just or unjust, likewise, wives submit to your husbands. But remember, this is not just saying be part of the social order. This is the Jesus remix. This is, this is Peter saying, in light of the freedom that you have in Christ, be subject, but live in a radically new and different way. And what are we remixing on? Well, the backdrop for this was the Roman paterfamilias, which is the patriarchy. Everything, everything ran through the man of the house. When we say the man of the house, that was utterly and completely true. He was king of the castle. The, the male word was, was, was law in that household. And so women required being part of a, of a family run by a man in order to succeed. And so when, when a daughter would grow up, she would have to do everything that her father would say until she went and got married, and then she would have to do everything that her husband would say. And she could not have this household on her own. That just wasn't allowed or allotted for in Roman social structure. So this patriarchy, the paterfamilias, is the backdrop and so now Paul, Peter is saying, within this backdrop, how do we radically remix or redefine who we are because of Jesus Christ? Stay in the structure, but live it in a radically different way. Stay because it can actually help save the eternal lives of unbelieving husbands. 
Peter describes them as those who do not obey the word. So when wives stay married to their husbands in this paterfamilias and they, they willingly in their freedom choose to submit and to honor and give respect to their husbands, then it shows and proves the, the, the radical love of Jesus Christ and the husbands have the opportunity to come to saving faith in Jesus. It would have gotten everyone's attention. They're not doing it because they have to. They're using their freedom to choosing to do that. Peter focuses on the importance of inner beauty. I love the way that the ESV describes it, the hidden person of the heart. That is where true beauty comes from versus this outer beauty. So don't, don't strive just to, to look beautiful on the outside, but instead be beautiful on the inside and, and bring that inner beauty into your marriage in a gentle and quiet spirit, which does not mean that wives have to be quiet and can't be heard. And if you're a, a gregarious and outgoing woman, it doesn't mean you have to be meek and mild. It means to live peaceably in your marriage. That as you submit to God and honor him, that you also submit to your husband and honor him in a way that brings peace and love and submission and honor into that marriage. Peter also goes on to acknowledge Sarah, married to Abraham, as being an example of a godly woman who truly has adorned herself with that hidden person of the heart and has submitted to her husband. And so, I mean, man, this is sounding pretty good, right? But that's not Peter's last word on the issue. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. So wait a minute, there's another likewise. So likewise meant submitting to the government and those in authority and to husbands. And what does it mean for husbands? Likewise, just as you submit to the governing authorities, just as you submit as slaves would to a master, just as the wives are submitting to you, likewise means submission. That's what this passage tells us. If the first likewise was about submitting, the second one is too. And now we are encountering something completely countercultural because in no other passage here is those who would be in a place of power addressed. Peter talks to those who are submitting to government. He never talks to the government. He talks about those submitting to masters. He never talks to the masters. He talks to wives submitting to husbands, and he chooses to talk to the husbands too. This is markedly different. And nothing in this culture would ever have the men addressed in a way that they would have any type of accountability to their wives. This is the Jesus remix. And when we bring it in line with what Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, this really hammers the point home. This is uh, Ephesians 5, picking up verse 25, right after Paul has also said that wives are to submit to their husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself. <laughs> and so Paul agrees with Peter and takes this idea way further. So likewise, live in a favorable way with your wives. Okay, that's one way. But likewise, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Through complete and utter self-sacrifice. Through complete submission. In fact, that sacrifice and that submission was just Peter's prime example of how servants should submit to their masters. So what is Peter saying? He's saying, wives, submit to your husbands. And he's saying in every equal way, husbands, submit to your wives. Biblical marriage is one of mutual submission. 
And I truly do believe that men and women are created different and there's room for distinction, that we are actually better working together as a team. And we can talk a little bit more about the ins and outs of that. So I'm not saying erase any difference or distinction, but I am saying that biblical marriage is one based on mutual submission. We submit to God first and then to our spouse second. And that is what Peter is saying. And that redefines the paterfamilias quite significantly. But why should husbands do this? Well, says Peter, because women are the weaker vessel. <laughs> are you sure you don't want to get up here, Earl? No? You're, you're good? You're still good. Okay. Hmm. I had fun studying for this one. So I have a commentary by a gentleman named Wayne Grudem. He is a staunch complementarian. And his theory, I'm going to throw him under the bus just a little bit. His theory was that Peter means that women are the weaker vessel because they are emotionally oversensitive. <laughs> And I was like, I can't preach that, Wayne. I don't know, I don't know where you're talking to. But, it's like, but here's the big thing. That's not even true in my own marriage, okay? Church, I am the emotionally oversensitive one. Every day, except for a few, and those are weird days, okay? This is, this is me. Like, this isn't about being physically less powerful or more emotionally oversensitive. It has nothing to do with who gets to stay home with the kids and who makes the money. The women are the weaker vessel because in Roman society, it made them so. They had no rights. They had no ability. They were required to be dependent on men. That's what it's saying. He's just saying that the backdrop here is that if we don't do this for our wives, then they will have no recourse. They will not be able to flourish. Nothing inherent about being a woman. It's about what culture had done to the state of womanhood. So if anyone preaches otherwise, you let me know, and then I'll just tell them that they're wrong. So how do we live in a social structure where women were required to be dependent on men? We live in mutual submission for their sake. And how do we know this is mutual? How do we know that it's equal? Because Peter declares women to be, in the very end, this is the most important part, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. They need and are required your help, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Slave, master, Jew, Gentile, male, female, we are co-heirs with Christ. We all have this eternal hope in him. In fact, we need to go to Galatians. I've been alluding to this verse all the time. Galatians 3, 28 and 29. We're going to put both verses together and notice that we have equality and heirship back to back. Let me just find it for myself. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. So when you place your faith in Jesus, no matter who you are, where you've come from, or what the world tells you, you are free and you are equal. It doesn't matter. Race, gender, social status, gender orientation, you are free and you are equal. You are a co-heir with Christ. In light of this truth, I urge you all to use this freedom to serve God well by submitting to him and then submitting to those around you in the government, in the authority, in your marriage, in your friendships, and when you do this, you will flourish, your community will flourish, and you will protect the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, it is good to see some very practical steps to take 
in Scripture like this. And these household codes give us a lot of heavy thinking, important thinking. What does it mean for us today, living these thousands of years later? God, we know that no matter what situation or culture we find ourselves in, that you remix the situation, that the equality we have in you is complete and total, that the freedom we have in you is complete and total. God, I pray that we would continue to use this freedom, not for ourselves, but to submit to you, to serve you, to submit to others and to serve them and to see how all our relationships change because of that. We pray this in your name. Amen.